Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowan. Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We're going to have a full debrief on the British and Irish Lions' first test victory over the Springboks. Then we're going to take a look ahead to the crucial second test. Plus, we'll be heading back inside the Lions' camp once again, this time to have a chat with scrum half Ali Price. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed to Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How's your week been, lads? Unreal. Straight in. I'll have a week. It's 1 0. It's 1 0. It's coming home. Well, statistically, if you look at it, if you win the first test, it's coming home. I've had a hell of a week, guys. I have been back doing what I do best smoozing, interacting, drinking, eating, training. Basically, I've been away from the kids and <laughs> I've been out of the house. I was down in London last week twice. I was doing uh, an activation, a barbecue versus Bri for now, who are streaming the British and Irish Lions games with Matt Dawson and Francois Lowe, two lovely human beings. Just loved being around people again. So that was part of the week. Andrew, we were down at London Welsh Rugby Club doing a fan zone piece for Rugby Pass. And then I was at the game. Well, you weren't at the game, were you? Yeah, I was at the game. It felt like I was at it. I was at the Pear Tree in Edinburgh with the famous grouse. So working. Busy. But... I enjoy company of fellow humans, of fellow humans, testosterone fueled. Not necessarily alpha, because Andrew, you know, now your testosterone levels have gone down since you put on 10 stone and you're over 40. But <laughs> I just like being around people. I've enjoyed this week. I just hope that with all that work, you said you're earning money. I hope you're going to take the family on holiday at the end of the Lions series. Or so. Are you going to treat them for anything or is it just, nah, back to school kids? I've booked a holiday. Oh, go on. I'm going to Ibiza for Andy Rose Stag, do it's booked. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, not family orientated at all, just uh, just lads, lads, lads. No, well, I bought Becca Rucksack today from John Lewis, so she's buzzing <laughs> off the back of that. Nice. The kids have got a colouring book. And That's all know, they I mean, need. What more, exactly, what more can you do? What more can you be, Andrew? I hear you, there, I hear you. There does feel, and it's ironic that the Lions games are being played with no fans, but it does feel like there's an air of normality. However, that may look going forward, or however that may have looked in the past. For me personally, and it has, and it has been an up and down 18 months. As we know, we're not going to go back and bring the tone down and go through the archives of how poor the last 18 months has been, not just for me, but yeah. for everyone listening. But it seems like there's light at the end of the tunnel, there's sport on. And again, yesterday being Sunday, I sat with a group of lads, more together. We've given them a shout out on the podcast before. They're cycling from John O'Groats down to Land's End. Group of rugby lads, uh, raising money for Doddy, raising money for Hambo. And it felt right. I'm amongst these lads that have been cooped up in their house as well. They're out raising money. I'm there. I'm not too sure by me being there if that adds to any more money, but it adds to the energy in the room. And I'll tell you what, I was just chatting to them. And it was interesting to listen to their questions, Andrew, because they love the podcast. They're big listeners. All they wanted to talk about was Bush and <laughs> Conkers. That's all they wanted. They weren't yeah. interested in the insights of the game. They wanted Bush and Conkers. And I'll tell you what, Andrew, I bloody delivered and I gave it to them. I, yes, of true. course I did. Uh, I, I gave them the 15, I gave them the 23 of Conkers and Bushes and they went away on their bikes to head back down south and they were happy. Lovely. Well, I'm glad you're happy, Jim, because I've had a tough couple of days. Talking of Conkers. Well, no, well, stones really, as opposed to Conkers, but Saturday night, I'm like, oh, what's that? Turn around, looked at the missus, I said, have you just stabbed me in the back? Gout. <laughs> no, I've got shooting pain down the right-hand side where my kidneys are. I, I've been in bed for a couple of days. Kidney stones have absolutely wiped me out. Well, well, that's what I said, Andrew. Stones and conkers. There you go. Well, the only way to get rid of kidney stones, because I'm a philosopher, is to weed them out through the conquer, is it not? It is, James. It is. Uh, there are other treatments available. I've got to see someone on Wednesday. But my God, I spoke to my doctor on Sunday evening, and she, and I'll say this, she said, if you have kidney stones and you pass them through your urine, 
it hurts more than giving birth to babies. And I'm like, no, 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 no. no, don't tell me that. But to all the women out there, I was told by my female doctor that a man passing kidney stones goes down into the groin. The pain is meant to be excruciating. uh, So I'm not looking forward to that. That'll be me over the next sort of 24 hours. And do you reckon that's the truth? A man pissing out his kidney stones is going to be more painful than giving birth. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to talk myself up here, but I probably wouldn't flinch. But (laughs) I don't want to put your medical records out there. And I don't know whether your doctor has seen you when she pulled the foreskin. I mean, when she looked at you last and did the examination. (laughs) I'm telling you now, there's not everyone would be in that much pain peeing out a stone unless you've got a conquer. So you've done yourself an injustice there, Andrew. Or you sat at home. You've got the holiday blues, you're feeling vulnerable, and you're happy to put on record that it was like giving birth at the weekend. Now, I'll just reiterate humbly, I wouldn't flinch myself. What do you guys make of the first test? One for the purist, the first half. Anyway, um, what do we make of the first test? Well, it's amazing we won. Let's put that out there. South Africa, absolutely fact. Let's get it out there. In the second half, they look absolutely bollocks uh, yeah. if we're going to speak candidly I didn't think we played that well to be 12-3 down at half time it could have been worse I think we got the rub of the green with the referee yeah. um, I thought that the subs made a huge difference when they came on I thought that tactically we played very well in terms of the kicking game what about the, the bomb going up in the air uh, straight for Chesney Colby and Duan van der Merwe and the old piece chasing him I mean I, I thought tactically we played really well um, and it's huge. Let, let's put the headline out there. It is absolutely huge to win that first test. And I'm loving, and I've seen on social media, the fallout and Razzie's on Twitter, if that is really him. I'm absolutely loving it. Some people get yeah. annoyed with it. I, this is what it's about, is it not? It's like the Lions winning a game in South Africa, the first test. The build-up's been immense. We didn't know whether we were going to get a game. We've got a game. Feel sorry for the players with them not being any fans. Nonetheless, we are where we are. And, you know, that's a massive win. A massive win. And it shows you with the build-up that South Africa have had and the COVID cases that they've had and everything else that's going on there, that even half-cooked, they ain't far away. So you're thinking this next test is going to be an absolute ding-a-ling. I mean, ding-dong. So there's some big moments in that first half where, you know, we were... A bit naive, a few penalties. Tom Curry gave a couple. Elliot Daly gave a couple, and then two things happened at half time. Warren Gatland just dropped his kegs, showed his nuts, and said, <laughs> "You guys need to get yours out in the second half and turn this around." No, Mako got his out, and everyone walked out. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. But the, the, the South Africans changed their whole front row at half time, and I still don't get it. It was just such a change, wasn't it? And when you've got dominance, I never understand a preset plan of changing a front row at a certain minute and we ended up winning the kicking battle in the second half winning the aerial battle and that was the game wasn't it it was a, it was the most physical game of chess you could ever see because a couple of times that the Lions chucked it around um, it seemed a bit harem scarum you only have to look at Deal Andy's try that was uh, turned over for Chesney Colby's knock on thinking what are we doing there but when we got our tactics right kicked on the money kicked to compete yeah, we dominated the airwaves in the second half. And I think, you know, that and South Africa's discipline, that which just went to pieces in the second half, was was the big differences. And obviously, Warren G getting his nuts out at half time. What'd you make of the two TMO calls by South African Marius Jonker? Oh, you're hoping not to talk about TMO decisions, aren't you? And let's be honest, they were all very close. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They were, it was very, very close. And. Let's get it out there, Andrew. The footage and what we were trying to see on TV was really poor. Like I don't yeah. know, for whatever reason, I know it's on a world feed. Sky are obviously showing it. So it was difficult to build an idea of what's happening. Like They had an aerial view that they showed for the second TMO decision, but they didn't show it for the first one. The first one was the kick through from Am to Willie yeah. LaRue, and it, and it was fractional. And I've, you know, when I watched it, I thought, LaRue was behind. You know, there's stuff going around on social where people are freeze-framing it and they're drawing lines all over the pitch. I, I did feel for, for, for the match officials in that. I don't think it refereed the game that well around the breakdown. I thought we let, let a, st- a lot of stuff go. And you're just hoping that these headline decisions aren't what dictate the game. In hindsight, he probably got it about right. The one with Ches and Colby. We all saw that. We didn't know whether he was going to go back for the knock-on in the air uh, or the yeah. slap-down in the air or however you want to look at it. 
But that's probably the worrying thing for the Lions, that if it wasn't for them small decisions that were huge decisions, then it could have been very different. But, you know, like Gatlin said, you get the bounce of the ball. Um, you win some, you lose some. And that's what's going to make this second test so good because it was so close. There were these decisions. South Africa are going to be better. Yeah, I think that what the big one for me is just how it was communicated because the on-field decision for Vili LaRue's try, he was given a try. So on-field decision is try. Then the letter of the law is there has to be clear and obvious evidence to overturn that. And the, Marius Jonker's wording, I think he was saying something like, it's a tight one, but I think he's just in front. So it wasn't clear and obvious. Um, so we got the rub of the green there, the big one for me. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually not too fussed about Villarou's try because the South can scored not long after that anyway, didn't they? So, you know, when you've had one disallowed, then you score not long afterwards. It kind of cancels the first one out because you wouldn't have been in that position necessarily to score the second one um the big one for me is and he's a friend of the show hamish watson that is a yellow card all day long and at 19 points to 17 to the lions i know andre pollard still gets a penalty and misses it but you've got the last however long it was 10 minutes without hamish watson that's a big difference i think you know it's definitely not a red card let's Let's be clear about that. But for me, as soon as you lift a leg over the horizontal, even though there wasn't too much power in in sort of Villy LaRue being put down into the ground or driven into the ground or whatever you think, the letter of the law, that's a yellow card. And they didn't check it. You know, I'll go back to Jim's point about the coverage. We weren't hearing some of the TMO conversations with um, Nick Berry, which, you know, you're watching BT Sport. And I know they're coming off the world feed and there's issues because Sky are doing it from, you know, their, their studios here and, you know, they're, they're basically reliant upon what's being given to them from South Africa. It didn't make out the clarity that we all needed as fans and as 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 pundits watching the game, the clarity required on decision-making when some of them in the first half, he wasn't even, he couldn't hear him, could you, Marius Jonker? So, uh, and the big thing is, I, I tweeted about it, World Rugby have put him in a horrific position because he's now getting buried by South Africans. You know, we've seen in the press people calling him a coward, uh, Marius Jonker, and it's just ridiculous. You know, Gats has gone out, a few days before the test series into the press and said I'm not happy it's a disgrace that you know World Rugby have put a South African in, in charge of being TMO for three tests without having a contingency plan I get that actually World Rugby have really got to take a look at themselves for putting him in that position how good is uh, Rassi Erasmus's social media activity been or is it Jacko Johan who is it I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. Like, who who is Jacko? It is a bit weird, though, isn't it? You've got one of the best coaches in the world, the best coaches who have ever done it, having won a World Cup. He's running the water on, his mask down by his nipples, and he's put on a bit. <laughs> let's let's put it out there. Not that that matters. He's been comfortable the last couple of years. He's not feeding anyone any water. Like he ain't. He, I mean, the, the, he's carrying one bottle on. To be fair, the lads are absolutely dying for a drink, and he ain't feeding any water at all. He's just <laughs> feeding messages with his mask down by his nipples, and then he's hitting social media. It's all a bit weird, but I'm loving it. I'll be honest. I like all these interactions. It makes me laugh. Yeah. It makes me happy. Uh, but he's calling out. Um, he's calling out the referee. He's calling out. Uh, some of the Lions' challenges and he's posting it, rightly or wrongly, the challenge on Cheson Colby from Ali Price, which we're going to chat to Ali. We'll maybe ask him about it. It was. He, he took him out in the air, I thought. It's more around Mako picking him up. So Mako picking Cheson up after, p- plops him back on his feet. Razzie saying it's unsafe. You know, there was some stuff in the lead-up to the game last week. I reckon Gats is a silent assassin on Twitter as well. I reckon he's there scrolling through, but we, he's not. he's not got a blue tick. I bet he is. But that's what it is, isn't it? It's like Razzi, he was humble after the game. He said best team won, no excuses from their side. There could have been a hundred excuses uh, and there wasn't. But um, whether or not World Rugby allowed it to carry on uh, in terms of Razzi calling out the Lions posting clips, I mean, why not? It's, you know, if they, if they lose 3-0, the egg's on his face, isn't it? What is the difference between Razzi whacking something on Twitter and, uh, you know, airing his views that way to Warren Gatland airing his views to the newspapers in a press conference. Is there much of a difference? I know you go into sort of another degree by showing clips, but it's just another form of media, isn't it? We want to see this between the coaches, don't you? It's, you know, it's the only rugby event that's going on right now by the Olympics, and you know, the world is focusing on this. And I think you look at it and you think, I think it's brilliant. You know, they're not characters that are dislikable. 
they're not slagging each other off. They're not going into personal or anything like that. It's just having a bit of fun in the press. And, you know, sometimes Eddie Jones does it. Um, and sometimes we call him out for some of the ridiculous things he says. But, you know, these two, are, I'm quite enjoying the entertainment because actually, you know, the entertainment of the Lions tour so far hasn't been that great in terms of the rugby on the field. You know, it was all building up to this big crescendo of the test match. And, you know, the test match was intense. And all that. It wasn't played at, played at a pace. I reckon me and you could have handled that pace, Jim. Maybe not the physicality, but, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't the best spectacle to watch as a game of rugby was it a lot of kick tennis a lot of big hits a lot of tackling you know very little ball in hand um and that was the way this first test was always going to be so if you're going to have a bit of banter uh, across twitter and Razzy Erasmus is there doing that and Gats is going in through different media channels what's the what's the difference it's a bit of fun and I don't mind it I need to call Razzy out though because I've been following him then unfollowing him and then following him and I must have followed and unfollowed him 100 times so he sees me so there's some visibility. I don't know if he's hitting verified or not, but he ain't, he's, he's not picked up the, the hint that I'm keen for him to follow me. I tried to get him on the podcast before the Lions tour as well. Um, let's just say he replies saying, mate, you're a legend, and then nothing else. Didn't hear a whisper off him. Didn't hear a peep, lads, I'll be honest. If, if I'm being honest, I didn't hear a peep off him. So, Razzie, we're calling you out. If you carry on tweeting and don't follow me, I'm calling you out next week, calling you a joker. There you go, have it. Oh, you're our Jim. You are. You are. That's why you were the enforcer. Well, speaking of enforcers, Marrow. Yes. Massive game from him over the weekend. And I put myself in a bit of a hole, didn't I, Andrew? As you know, as I was tweeted, let's talk about it. That's how we live our lives. Um, I tweeted that Peter Steftatoy, best forward in world rugby right now. And yeah. then obviously Marrow was doing what he was doing. It was off the back of Marrow getting absolutely monstered by Ebenezer Beth and then. Marrow turning Ebenezer Beth over and then getting a line out steal and then getting a turnover, then another turnover, then another turnover. <laughs> he um, played bloody well, didn't he? He's a big game player, Andrew. And this is what I mean. Yeah. When you look at the refereeing around it, he did he got away with, with quite a lot, as Ebenezer Beth did as well. Marrow plays well every week. Every week he does something in the game or he does a number of things in the game which you like, this guy's world class. Yeah. But there's always the element of him giving away penalties and, and, and whatever. Did he give any away at the weekend? Why, why no, no, no. But, I, but arguably, he could have given away penalties. So it kind yeah. of goes for him and against him. But he's that dominant in what he does. And this is, we were chatting last week, Goody. In the build-up to the game, and you're talking about Adam Beard, how well he did in the lead-up to the uh, the test matches. And you're thinking, right, he can be in because of what he does around the tight. No one does it better than Marrow around the no. time. When you're doing them things around the mall, when you're trying to steal the ball, when you're close to your try line trying to steal the ball and everything's in favour of the attack, that's why Marrow gets pinged. And some of the stuff, you know, when he's, he's knocking hands out, you know, he's knocking the scrum half's arms. Some referees let you get on with that. And Nick Berry let them get on with that for both sides. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't referee the, the breakdown as strictly as we've seen it refereed in the Prem, for example. So Marrow was in his element in that sense. And his battle with Ebenezer Beth, and we obviously had Eben on the podcast um, a few weeks ago in the lead-up to the tour. You know, we're talking about two out of three best second rows in world rugby. Do you know what I mean? Of the, of the modern game. Brody Retallick's in that mixer as well. Adam um, Jones. So, top 10 in Northern <laughs> Hemisphere. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Top 15 or 20. Like Alan Wynne-Jones was good. You're but horrible. If you, look at, if you look at the output of Marrow and Eben on the pitch, they are light years. In, not light years. They're ahead of the game. They're, they're, but what Alan Wynne-Jones, you see his... Like he's a leader, isn't he? Any decision, yeah. he's there. He, he's close to the referee. He's slowing the ball down. He's hard as nails. So I thought Marrow and Alan Wynne Jones, as we were predicting who was going to play last week, obviously the, the team got leaked out. That's the right setup for the team. And then you throw in courtly laws as well. But if you're talking about enforcers, I thought Evan looked brilliant as well. He was attacking. We'll chat to Ali Price and ask him if he could even smell the size of Evan's arms. Um, coming from the blind side and, and, and the way that he plays. But no, absolutely loved it. Like them two, you know, they, they are world-class locks and I did enjoy it. And I'm biased because I'm one of the enforcers as well. Well, a couple of things on that, Jim. Uh, firstly, you're talking about outputs. Who was the British and Irish Lions top tackler at the weekend? Marrow. Alan Wynne-Jones. 10 tackles. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all he needed. It's all he needed. But he, 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 mate, he led the way. He led the way as skipper. Uh, and secondly, Dominant tackles? 
Uh, I don't know about those stats. I haven't gone that okay, deep. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I don't know about those stats. I haven't delved that deep into dominant and soak up tackles and Jim Hamilton tackles because there's three brackets, isn't there? But what I will say, why is Mario so good? Why is he so good? Because he learned from the best. He learned from the absolute best, George Cruz. He learned from George Cruz <laughs> and Swino down at South. No, he learned from you, Jim. You were his mentor, weren't you? Well, what happened with me and Maro, and I'm happy to put it on record again, if I wasn't so shy towards the end, they would never have fast-tracked him through. So <laughs> the listeners out there, if you've not listened two or three years ago, you're welcome. If it wasn't for me being so crap, they would not have fast-tracked Maro Toji through and arguably... He might be, he'd still be on the tour, but would he be as good? It's a rhetorical question because we, we, we don't really know. And, I, and I'm sat here retiring in a box room on my own talking crap on a podcast. But nonetheless, we're both successful in our own rights. Yeah, you say that, Jim. It was interesting, Nick, because loads of different selection sort of points came out last week. I thought Jack Conan as well answered um, loads of questions around his selection. People were shocked that Falatau wasn't involved in the 23. Conan, I thought, was brilliant. The whole back row, Courtney Laws was the big one as well. We were chatting to Stevie Ferris on Thursday um, with Rugby Pass. And Plot good that. mates for Stevie. Yeah, good mates for Stevie. A lot of time, a lot of respect for his opinions. He says what he thinks, which I love. He called Courtney Laws a plodder, didn't he, Jim? And uh, he's like, I don't but see he that backed selection. It up. He backed it up with stats. He convinced me. He, well, he didn't convince me because I've seen a lot of Courtney Laws and he just goes around banging boys for fun. And he carried well, got turnover. He was Courtney Laws was brilliant. It was very close between him and Marrow for man of the match, I thought. Um, obviously, Marrow won it in the end. But um, yeah, Courtney Laws, I thought, was phenomenal. And and the game was perfect for him, wasn't it? Yeah, that physical sort of close quarter battle where, you know, Courtney is immense in that. You know, he's probably the best in the world as a six doing that sort of stuff. Him and probably Peter Steph de Toy as the two sixes. Well, it speaks volumes of the game that you guys have pretty much just talked about the forwards. Was there anyone in the backs or anything that stood out for you with the with either back line? I mean, first up, opening play of the game pretty much for the Lions. Elliot Daly, how are your ribs? I mean, I'm looking at it going, that needs checking because he's flown. Amma's absolutely flown out the line, smoked him. And I'm thinking, we've got to see a replay. Like, we hardly saw a replay for five minutes. And I was just gagging to see the replay, thinking that he'd gone really high on him. Ballsy to do that. Yeah, very, very. Because that's, mate, you get that half an inch wrong. And it's night, night, no biscuit. You got a red card, and you know it's you're two or three minutes into the game. But my God, what a shot that was! That made me think, geez, I'm 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 so glad that we're out of the game for a long time now, Jim, because that was brutal. Elliot Daly is a strong boy. Yeah, it was it was a class start. I think from the back, good, and you'll be better placed than me. I thought Duan van der Merwe was stand out. I really, yeah. I, I, in terms of the pressure that he would have felt going into that game, I thought he outplayed Chesney Colby. Obviously, the game suited Duan. He got a good touch early on in the, in the air with, with the ball. No, it went forward, but with the up and under. His kick chase, his physicality, I thought, was brilliant. Uh, Anthony Watson was good. Um, he was. Backs, look, look, you know, for me, the difference for the Lions was the bench that came on. I'm not saying that the guys who started weren't good. It, it, it was it, a, a kicking fest at the beginning. They're on the back foot. You know, they're under a bit of pressure. But I'll be honest, I thought Farrell was really good when he came on. I reckon he'll start this week. Do you reckon? I reckon he'll start, if Bigger's not fit, because Bigger's um, doing the HIA protocols and can't do contact till Thursday, I think Faz will start at 12 and Henshaw will be, move out to 13. So if Bigger's fit, you think Faz will go in at 12? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Uh, I think I think Bigger 100% deserves to start again on his own performance. You know, what about the nuts on him to slot the penalty to go ahead? You know, from the touchline as well. You know, and Having people are talking about the one before. Yeah, and people are talking about Alan Wynne-Jones uh, as the skipper making that decision to go for the corner. You have a look at the replay. Dan Berger doesn't even go to Alan Wynne-Jones. He gets the ball, hoofs it into the corner before he made the decision, I think, Dan Berger did. Maybe it's come off the back of what they spoke about at halftime, but there was no uh, no point was Dan Berger thinking, Alan Wynne, should I go for post or should I go? He got the ball and I saw it. It happened in a millisecond. Bang, he's put it in the corner. I'm like, geez, that's ballsy. Yeah, because Gat said, I listened to him after because I love my ruggers. Uh, he said that they said at half time because Bigger missed that kick and Elliot Daly missed that long kick and they spent yeah. no time in the 22. They said, kick his the balls to the corner. And then Luke Cowan, Sicky, you've not hit a barn door in the first half, but we're trusting you to hit this one. <laughs> I put double top on Twitter, but it wasn't double top in hindsight, but it was competed. And the fact that here's a bit of rugby noise, because South Africa competed in the air, that's why the Lions scored that try, because they're Thank in you. a compromised position. So you're welcome. You rugby pig. I blow your mind, eh? <laughs> yeah, you do. Um, yeah, going back to the backs, it'd be interesting selection this week, but 
yeah, I mean, I thought Van der Merwe was quality. Disappointed we hardly saw Cheslin Colby, did we? Um, you know, you want those players on the ball, but that was the nature of the game. Anthony Watson, again, agree with you, Jimmy, he was good. And, and yeah, you know, Ali Price, whatever Gat said at half-time, they all turned it round, didn't they? Uh, because they changed their kind of focus. They, you know, carrying the ball more, playing through some phases, and that put a load of pressure on South Africa. And, and you know, Ali Price getting the ball away from the breakdown quicker, you know, and just simple patterns, really, got us some field position, momentum, and South Africa lose their discipline. And ultimately, that's what... Uh, Won us the game that and our and our kick chase and uh, you know aerial skills where we sort of dominated them in the second half was the difference and the backs were a massive part of that. Well, we can go inside the Lions camp now and have a chat with a man who starred for the British and Irish Lions at the weekend. Scrum half Ali Price joins us. How are you, mate? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. Um, good weekend's work, so uh, yeah, spirits are good. Ali, what's better? The fact that you won a test match and you started a game for the Lions, or that your social media has gone up 50% in the last three months. What? <laughs> Jim, we're not all as shallow as you, mate. <laughs> um, definitely uh, the result on the weekend. Most players would agree your first sort of test start would, uh, would be the biggest game of your career, and it definitely was for me. And to get over the line with a, with a win as well, it was a pretty special day. I'm sure it was, and we'll come on to the game in a bit. But first and foremost, I just want to chat about, I can hear that strong Scottish accent coming out and you like Jim. Are you born north of the Hebrides in Swindon as well? Uh, yeah, the east coast of England, Norfolk is where, uh, where <laughs> I was born. Give us a snapshot of your uh, backstory, because I know we joke about it, and it's one of four nations now because you're a British and Irish lion. I, I can't say that, so I basically just have to justify my Scottishness everywhere that I turn. Just give us a snapshot of why you've got an English accent, play for Scotland, and now you're an absolute legend. <laughs> um, so, yeah, grew, grew up uh, in England. Um, my dad uh, was born in England. Uh, my mum was born in Edinburgh. So uh, that's that's the Scottish link. And then, yeah, when I finished school, went to went to Bedford Blues Academy, who, were, who had an under-19 team. Um, was playing a, an academy game for them, and there was a, a sort of Scottish exile scout, if you were watching a watching a match against Cambridge University, actually, uh, and got an email off the back of that inviting me to sort of under, Scotland under twenty trials up in Leeds initially, um, and just it kind of went from there. To be honest, that was when I was like eighteen, so I had two years at twenties. The first year didn't really go anywhere, and it's gone from there. I, I ended up in Glasgow and. The rest is history, I guess. Can you imagine, Ali, the amount of lads that are saying, watching you at the weekend, being like, I was better than him. How is he there? I was better than him. He was at Bedford. He was like playing Cambridge Uni. He was there. He was this. And now look at it. There probably are some, to be honest. But look, (laughs) this is how it's played out. So I'm not complaining. Let's just talk about your rise then. And we're going to go back before we talk about the test match. Obviously, you've been exceptional on tour. All the romance about getting on tour. Um, and then it gets to the week of the test match. Conor Murray, the week before, is named as captain, which obviously means that potentially the only place up for grabs is a bench spot. Then Alan Wynne-Jones comes in. A lot's been talk- spoken about your form. We can't get away. Conor Murray, world-class player. He was class when he came on as well. But how was it for you learning that you were going to make a test day debut as a starting nine? Um it was pretty surreal to be honest. We were all sat sat in the team room, and in all the previous games so far, Gats has just gone up the front with his notebook, put his glasses down, and, and just read read out the the team basically. And it was it was on the Monday of last week that we that we found out, and you could tell it was you could tell that everyone just wanted to know all the players in the room you guys would have been the same when you played you just want to know where you stand and you can you can deal with it and he came in and there was no reading from his notebook he he kind of there was a few slides up on on the projector at the front uh and he kind of started by saying that it's not a closed door after this first team gets announced there's you know in New Zealand there were changes between tests and uh, the tour before in Australia same same thing applies um, not to switch off if you're not selected don't get in a huff you know it's one one team one squad you know we're all working in this together and kind of everyone's looking around just being like just just announce the, Put the team, team up. just tell us what it is and yeah then it came up uh, it came up positionally um, on the screen at the front starting with the front row so 
uh, slowly but surely each each unit of the team got announced and then I, I seen my name um, above uh, above Biggs and yeah so surreal couldn't quite believe it um, at the same time then it was like right I need to I need to have a have a brilliant week you know learn all, learn my stuff know exactly what I'm going into game plan and, and just do myself justice um, I tried not to get carried away with it because I felt like being named was the easy bit I, I had to just like it to myself I had to put in the performance uh, on Saturday to to kind of prove to myself that I, I, I could do it you know I'm trying to think back to our careers when something similar would have happened probably getting picked for England or Jim for Scotland or whoever it was it's really hard to actually understand from the outside those meetings. Are there loads of looks or glances between the players? Because there's there's probably very few players that thought they were definitely going to start because it was so tight selection, wasn't it? So, yeah, the reaction, do you look down to the floor and just have a little moment to yourself? Do you look around at the boys and they're giving you the nod? You know, it must be so exciting to be in there. But what was the reaction? Yeah, obviously the, the names all went up. It was silent and people digest whether they're, whether they're in or not. Um had a moment and then Gats kind of said, right, well, that's it. Uh, and we were we were off to training straight after, actually. And um, I think it shows, it kind of shows how how tight this group is now, uh, I think. Like, everyone's a decent bloke here and everyone's been getting on. And the first guy that came up to me after we all stood up was Connor uh, and sort of shook my hand and and said, like, well done, mate. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll let's do this kind of thing. And... And got on the bus and Gareth's just opposite me on the bus and he stood up and was like, look, congratulations, mate. Well done. You know, like uh, whether people would have been disappointed as, and people are obviously happy and, uh, but it didn't matter. You know, we're all, we're all in it together. I mean, it, yeah, it was pretty, pretty special. Yeah, I would have been moaning into my coffee, I tell you. If Marrow and <laughs> no Alan Wynne Jones got a picked ahead of me, I would have been moaning into my coffee. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the build up then, because we're obviously here, and I, I think I messaged you or, or Hamish and said the atmosphere absolutely buzzing. So, in all the bars in Edinburgh, I'm sure London was the same. I don't know whether you get to see or hear that noise, but there is an air of normality back here in the UK and an Ireland. Is it weird there? Do you know what I mean? Because are there people out and about? Is it like turning up to the stadium, there's no one there? I know they're very strict on COVID. So without bringing the energy down, how is it when you're in the stadium warming up and the build-ups and stuff? Yeah, they're, they're not as far on as what it is back in the UK. Uh, I mean, where we're based through the week, uh, we're in Hermanus. I don't know if you guys are that familiar with it, but it's, it's about an hour and 20 away from Cape Town. It's, it's a small town and we're obviously in our bubble here at this hotel. Um, just go to training and come back and, and like the facilities and the, the hotel here is great. So it's not too much of a an issue. Um, but then when we go to Cape Town, obviously it, it's it's very much in for the game. And um, again, the hotel's just us and we go from there to the stadium. So yeah, and I, I think in terms of the lockdown here as well. I mean, we've, I don't think we drive, we don't drive past any bars or built up areas going to the stadium. So you don't really, yeah, you, you don't really see any, yeah, there's no full bars. There's not people out on the streets, you know, with flags and chanting and, and all the rest of it, like it, like it has been back home. In a way it's, it's helped us focus and we're, we're just here to do a job almost, you know, and it's brilliant that people back home are able to in, enjoy it with their friends in the bars and stuff. Let's talk about the game, Ali. A lot of the games that you've played and the games that you've really stood out in is where the game has been fast and you've been on the front foot. Now, people watching the first half especially, unless you're a rugby purist like myself and a non-expert expert, you understand that there's a tactical element to it. How tough was it around the breakdown, the pushing and the pulling, the ball bobbling about and also implementing a kicking game and trying to make sure that that's on point instead of reverting to trying to run everything. I mean, was it as tough as it looks around the breakdown, the physicality? Was it, were you shot by it? I mean, Eben was coming from the blind side and hitting you and stuff like that. Uh, how was it? How was it playing? Yeah, it was tough. I, I don't think either team really got much attacking front football at all, to be honest. And, and But at the same time, I think, I think well, we expected that. I'm sure South Africa were expecting it as well. Uh, was speaking to bigs in the week and, and leading up to the game and test matches like that they're, they're more like chess games in a way it was who who was going to blink first on uh, or make make an error that enabled the the other team to to get further up the field South Africa are, 
on their run up to the to the World Cup. You know, they've got a massive kick in focus and winning the aerial battle and then back in their defence when a team gets bored of it or tries to overplay. Uh, and I think that's something that we were very aware of going into that first test was to not get bored or lose patience within that. You know, um, they they would have their moments in, in the game, but we didn't want to feed them anything cheap and, and easy because we overplayed, for example. And so I, I, I think personally, I, like I had a good grasp of that going into the match and I sort of knew what would be effective for me was just executing my basics. Uh, it's probably... I know I'd had a lot of front football on the tour so far and been able to to sort of challenge and all the rest of it. But my basics had, always, uh, had also been 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 pretty good, I think, for me anyway. And and that was part of the reason still why, why I'd uh, got selected. So I, I wanted to make sure that I nailed that. But yeah, yeah it, was, it was definitely competitive and physical. But I think, you know, we, we all expected uh, it to be like that, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, and obviously, first half, things weren't going as well as perhaps the Lions would have wanted. 12-3 down at half-time. Um, we've been chatting on the podcast prior to you coming on. I basically said that Warren Gatlin must have dropped his trousers, got his nuts out and said, this is what we've got to do to win, boys. <laughs> uh, how was that half-time speech? Because ultimately, it was a hell of a turnaround and it came from pretty much your box kick out of the the 22 in the, in the start of the second half, which was a massive momentum shift, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I mean, our discipline in the in the first half wasn't great, which which fed them the three six nine twelve. We missed a, a few opportunities at points. Could have been could have been slightly different, but even at twelve three coming in, we were still in the arm wrestle. You know, it wasn't it wasn't too big a gap that you're like, oh, we've got to chase the game here. And at the same time, going off what happened in the South Africa A game the way that they looked or appeared to tire to, in the second half and towards the end, you know, we back our conditioning and we've managed to get, well, pretty much all our games in on tour. You know what I mean? In terms of match fitness, so we're, we're in a good spot. And uh, I think at half time we, we were in the arm wrestle. We just had to not gift them cheap points with dis- ill discipline and, and still stick to uh, the game plan. And, and like you said, I think from, from the kickoff, uh, managing to to get the turnover around halfway, big momentum shift that allows us to get into their half, and especially in that second half of our exiting uh, from our own twenty-two, you know, right throughout the the the, the second forty, we're able to put pressure on them around halfway and win back the ball, and uh, ultimately, I, I think that's what led to the win. Is there much chat, Ali, on the pitch? Um, banter between the teams is anyone scree- screaming at Razzie to put his mask on and to feed water to the boys they're thirsty <laughs> do you know what I mean because there's obviously a little bit after it there there's a bit before I don't know if you've seen the stuff on Twitter you must have seen it going around in camp yeah. is there any chat I mean because there's no fans there I mean is anyone giving it large ones no so, to, sorry to disappoint you I, genuinely uh no there, there wasn't anything on the field to be honest um like I, I'm I'm not really one to to say much anyway on the field but there are uh, I generally keep quiet and try and do my job, but I think everyone was so it was it was a physical game. Everyone was getting in into each other physically, and there wasn't any uh, real real words or banter flying around. To be honest, a couple of pushes here and there, but that's that's about it. Well, I saw Eben. Eben, I'm sure I heard Eben say like, "Take that, bro," or something like that to you when he clipped <laughs> clipped you on the feet or something. So just tell him if he does that again at the weekend, tell him you'll put Big Jim on him if he does that again. I'll sort him out next time I get to South Africa. He'll be <laughs> shitting himself. I've got a bodyguard back in Edinburgh, but he'll come and get you. The problem is your bodyguard's got spaghetti arms, so uh, not, I'm not sure what Jim could do with that these days. Um, talk to us about Faf then, because obviously you know he's the what the fulcrum of their team really in terms of energy. Um, you know, first and foremost, give him some banter about his head. You talk to him about his highlights because they looked a bit blonder at the weekend. But playing against him, um, you know, you're actually very similar players in terms of your energy, aren't you? And and how you go about your business. Good, a good battle playing against him. You enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I, I love to play in these games where I'm challenging myself against some of the best in the world at my position. And uh, that was no different on the weekend. You know, he, he's he's proven that he's, um, he's a quality nine. And I guess it's a team's job to try and stop a player like him. And um, I think the pressure we put on around the breakdown and, and when he when he was trying to exit, I, I think... Um, you know anything you can do that to put a player like that off their game uh, can only be effective for us. And 
Uh, I think on the whole, we we uh, managed managed him pretty well, to be honest. And what about other lads in the squad, Ali? As Owen spoke to you about me or anything like that, as he said that he was firing <laughs> balls at my face when I was at Saracens, as he mentioned it. Have you built a relationship with anyone that you thought you might not have? Um, no, Owen's not mentioned you, Jim. Sorry to disappoint. Sorry. Let it go, Don't Jim. mention me. Don't mention me. <laughs> Don't put him off his game. Now that you've mentioned it, I might say uh, I spoke to Jim last night. He's a fucking oh, joker, mate. He's a fucking joker. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to single out anyone, to be honest. We've, we've all mixed really well. Um, there's a few, a few guys that when you play against them, you think, God, you, you're a knob. But um, when you actually meet them and get to know them and you're on the same team, proper nice blokes. Um, for me, that's that's something that I didn't really know how it would go. You know, I, I think like anyone, you'd be quite nervous coming into this kind of squad with the quality of player. But you've got to just dive right in, haven't you? And it, it's been good to get to know everyone on more of a personal level, I guess. Yeah, you need to stay close. I was chatting to uh, Dan Bigger. I don't know whether he mentioned it on the podcast or not, but apparently he's going to business with George Cruz and they're setting up some property empire or something. So it's the ones that you don't think, Ali, that you need to stick close to that could make you a multi-millionaire. The actual, the dynamics of the, the tens you're playing with, obviously you're going to know Finn Russell exceptionally well from Scotland and, and previously Glasgow and stuff, but actually Dan Bigger and Owen Farrell are very different tens, aren't they, uh, in terms of their intensity and how they manage a game. Um, have you enjoyed sort of getting to know different different players in in terms of the tens you know Finn's a very laid-back character but very switched on and you know it tries to compete in every player as well but they're very different characters aren't they have you found found that sort of dynamic yeah they are um Biggs and and Faz very knowledgeable um I think it's 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 helped it's helped me as well in terms of different there's, there's different ways to to play a game and and obviously you guys would know you, you're always learning as a player Biggs demands what he what he wants from from the guys around him but at the same time he's he's very cool he's 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 very calm and um yeah Finn Finn's very laid back and you you kind of know the the style you're going to get with him um at the same time I think the way Biggs and, and Faz play in terms of their kicking game and organisation and management of, especially that sort of middle third, which is becoming more and more important. Um, yeah, I, I found it really interesting. I feel like it's helping it's helping my game as well in terms of working with with other uh, other players with different styles. And how's the build up, Ali? Looking this week, is it different to the first week because there's a few battered bodies? Obviously, Biggs is undergoing a HIA. Uh, so we won't be able to do contact or train till Thursday. I don't know, you know, obviously we're just going based on the info that we know, but is it a slightly different test week or is it a case of trying to build up the intensity straight away or kind of look after everyone and, and, and get there by Thursday, Friday? I mean, in terms of this Monday compared to last Monday, we we did a similar session, uh, a few games to kind of get the legs going again um, and then a bit of organisation towards the end of the session plays are already sent out in terms of any changes to to set piece plays so that's just for the for the boys to learn kind of throughout this evening and and ahead of tomorrow which uh again is is going to be our main training day again so so far it seems pretty similar to be honest um bigs aside i think everyone has pulled pulled through uh pretty well and and uh today yeah, every everyone kind of back training and and getting getting the legs going again and just before we talk about the rest of this week and, and the game at the weekend, um, one thing I forgot to ask, were there a load of beers in the change room afterwards? Because, you know, as much as we know it's a three-test series, it's been a tough tour for you boys in terms of socially, you've not been able to go out to bars and stuff. But celebrating wins like you did at the weekend is very important as well as a squad, isn't it? And I know Gats loves a beer, especially with his top off. Um, were, there, were there a few beers after the game as well in the change rooms and back at the hotel? Yeah, a couple on the bus uh, on the way back because... Obviously, we stayed we stayed in Cape Town the night before, but then we 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 went back to our base here uh, in Hermanus straight after. So a couple on the on the bus, and then back at the hotel, a few fines uh, got dished out, a bit of a fine session, um, and just enjoying each other's company. Like you said, obviously first game, so there's still two more massive games ahead of us. But you've you've got to celebrate these moments. You know, it's a, it's a special occasion. You've got to have a few unwind after the match and um, enjoy each other's company it's, it's just as important I think any of the fines uh, decent ones that you can let us in on we saw Lewis Reece Summit with the the shave in his head for the, the lightning bolt must have been some decent ones after the game uh, let me think 
Who's getting hammered? Ken Owens has bought his missus on tour. I heard that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all in a bubble for two months and he's got his wife. Um, <laughs> oh, are there any good is it different good? crack, Ali? Is it different crack because you're in a, like, do you know what I mean? Because you can't get out. I mean, because... Like, let's be honest, like, we're seeing the social stuff and wide of the pictures, but we're not seeing a lot else. You know, is there not a lot happening, really? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, there's not a huge amount you can do. Uh, it's just us, and we're we're in this hotel, which is pretty remote, and that's all there is. A lot of the fines are if you're late for meetings, wrong kit. The coaches have been brought in on them uh, as well. So is it, Ali, it's slightly different vibe to when I was Scotland's vice-captain, where if we kept it under 50, we were out in Opal Lounge, probably drinking 50 or 45 responsible drinks. Um, is it uber professional? Like, is it, like uh, We're hearing about Bobby's Rope and stuff like that, but you know, people listening to this and thinking about a Lions tour and stuff like that, is it just like, because you can't go out and get loose, you can't go out midweek, there's not many stories that are going to come out of the tour as opposed to, you know, except for like, lads missing a birdie or whatever it's called I don't even play golf it sounds like I know what I'm talking about but is that is it just uber professional is it just like literally head down get the job done get out of there and then hopefully have 100,000 followers by the end of it <laughs> I think there's an element there is an element of that obviously I wasn't on the, the tour in 2017 um, you know from what I hear from the boys that were on that it, it was different there was a lot more traveling on their rest days actually I believe in New Zealand they didn't actually have a have a recovery day where they stayed in the same place till between the second and third test I think so there's been some positives in that there's there's not not as much moving around and it's allowed our rest days to be rest days and you can chill out um eight uh yeah play golf which is which is handy um it, it is a bit more chilled but that's that's the environment or, or the world that we're in down here in South Africa at the moment I think it's helped us be closer together as a group you know we're all missing family and friends back home we're uh, but we know what the what the obviously the objective of this whole tour is just to win these three games at the end you know and we're at that stage uh, that said you know Saturday night we got back here and we were able to to have a few drinks together and as as professional and intense as it is it's it's also important to have nights like that where you can unwind and, and just enjoy each other's company yeah definitely and has the rope come out have you been hit by the rope yet bobby stridgen's rope i've not been i've not been hit by the rope but uh, <laughs> as you can imagine it's it's been out and about everyone everyone's seen plenty of the rope <laughs> i'll do anything to get hit by the rope ali uh, before you go are you feeling the love i mean i mentioned at the beginning we were um i was at the pear tree at the weekend every time i stood up everyone cheered every time you touched the ball someone cheered so i felt like I was amongst it, but are you feeling it from back home or not? Do you get a sense of uh, what it's like here? Social media, messages, uh, because there is a lot of hysteria now and it probably does feel slightly different for you guys guys there, but are the lads feeling it? Um, I mean, from from what we see online, I guess, um, a little bit, but yeah, like you said, it, it's hard. It's hard to, to feel that over here because there's none of it. Um, there's no... We don't go past any kind of built up areas where there's bars and people are out on the street and and all the rest of it. There's none of that here, I think. Um, but at the same time, it's great to it's great to see the the sort of videos and the reactions of, of people back home because ultimately that you know we're 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 trying to we're trying to do it for them, make them proud and and support us. And uh, Matt Dawson actually sent me a video of Edinburgh after the game. I don't know what bar he was in, but it was with me. Was it? Was it? Yeah, I mean, that yeah, looked, yeah. it looked class. It looked so good. Once, once this is all all said and done, and everyone's back home and can enjoy a weekend out uh, with their mates and that, I think uh, it'd be nice to get back to some some sort of normality. Anyway. Yeah, we're going to get mobbed, mate. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Less of the way, Jim. Less of the way. <laughs> Where are we going, Jim? You're taking me out. Yeah, I definitely have. You, you win this weekend, mate. We are out. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Just don't wear your brown uh, leather jacket, Jim. Horrific. <laughs> all right, Ellie. Well, thank you very, very much for coming on the show, mate. And uh, best of luck for the rest of the tour. And no doubt when you do finally get back here, you'll be able to enjoy some of that atmosphere. Perfect. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ali. Best of luck this weekend. Bring it home, son. It's coming home. Cheers, Smiler. It's coming home. Top lad. Top lad. Yeah. Yeah, lovely guy, actually. Another Englishman that's gone up north, eh, Jim? Mate, no, no. If this isn't England, Scotland, Andrew. This is the British and Irish Lions. Yeah, you're four right, nations you're right. coming together. So, yeah, he's a, he's a top lad. And you can see how much 
Sometimes you, you look at the boys and you think they're the legends on the Lions tour, but you kind of get that feeling from him that he is soaking up every second of it and learning a lot from all the other players around him. So, mate, what a lovely bloke and hell of a story around getting selected and then playing really well in that first test. I hope he gets picked again this weekend. It's class to have him on. You know, we're not going to get a load of stories, a load of banter off him. He's in the middle of a test series, isn't he? He's got a test match at the weekend that if they win, they make well, is it history again. Do you know what I mean? They're historic moments, aren't they, that they're going through. So, Ali, uh, the guys at the Lions, thank you for giving us access. Um, it's a treat to chat to him. Let's get your predictions then. What's going to happen in the second test? Any changes that you'd make to the team? Well, yes. I mean, I don't want to be harsh, but front row struggled in that first half, didn't they? I wouldn't be surprised to see Mako start now. I thought he was wicked when he came on. Fair play to him because he's been under a lot of pressure. Yeah. Uh, the fixes that they put, put in the front row, they, I just thought they were disciplined. They just hit and stuck. Wouldn't be surprised to see Hamish Watson start seven ahead of Curry, um, only because I don't think there was much in it, and Curry gave away a couple of penalties. I know Hamish Watson's tip tackle could have been a yellow, maybe should have been a yellow. It wasn't. But apart from that, Conan, I thought was really good. Um, yeah, played Gatton really well. Spoke really highly of him. Um, I don't know why you'd even swap him out. I wouldn't be surprised to see a few changes. I reckon there'll be a couple in the backs as well. Yeah, I think backs is where it's at. You know, big one for me is is Dan Bigham. You know, if he passes HIA, love to see him start at 10 again. You know, the centre partnership didn't really work and you've got a few options there. Do you, you know, leave Henshaw at 12 and bring Chris Harris in at 13? You know, do you bring Bundy Aki in at 12 and shift Henshaw to 13? Or do you go Farrell at 12, which is what they were going to do, weren't they? They took Elliot Daly off, moved Henshaw to 13. And then put Farrell to 12 for about one play because then Dan Bigger gets banged on the head and goes off for a HIA. So then Farrell moves to 10, Elliot Daly comes back on um, and Henshaw's back into 12. So yeah, people calling for Liam Williams to start as well. Uh, it surprised me actually. I thought Hoggy played all right. I know he slipped on one kick or whatever, but I thought he played reasonably well, Hoggy. Yeah, I, th- I think, I don't know. I thought the back three played really well. And that's the yeah. issue that you've got in the lead up to this. Like Josh Adams, is he not going to play? Now, do well, you know what I mean? Is he going to look? Is he going to look to mix it up? Would you play differently? I don't know. Like these are. This is the hard thing, isn't it? Like the, the players that we're talking about, the centres we never knew who he was going to pick. The back three we didn't know who he was going to pick. Mm. So, and that's still the question mark now, isn't it? Going into this, because let let's be honest. If you look at that South Africa back line, if they're fit and firing, and we did see glimpses of it, my goodness me, they're a better back line. They're more physical. They're more direct in the carry. Whereas ours, we're still talking about it now as non-expert experts. Do you know what I mean? Like we're, we're trying to say, is our centre partnership good? You know, is the bat three right? Whereas like you look at them and you're like, if they get it right and they're fit, they're class. I actually thought at times the South Africans got lost in attack. Like it was, you could clearly see it and you feel for them. They've played against Georgia and some of them played against the Lions for the Springbok A team. Like the cohesion just wasn't there, was it? The Lions, I know they've had a load of easy sort of provincial games, um, but there, there's a lot. There was a lot more togetherness in how the Lions played, especially in that second half. Then you talk about the lungs of of the South African boys who haven't played. I don't think Pollard played that well. He was shaking his head when he came off. You could see. Yeah, he had a little bang, didn't he? Um, and I don't know. It's I, I looked at the South Africans, and if they don't win that first collision. And it's not Etzebeth or it's not Peter Steph Detoy or it's not Dialande getting their nose through the contact and getting over the game line. They don't really know how to attack. And that's when Faf goes looking for something. And that's where the Lions defence, I thought, was phenomenal. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, uh, well, you, while you look at both back lines and you go probably on paper, that Springbok back line is potentially a bit better than the Lions back line. I didn't see a lot from them. And Gats again going in the press and kind of saying, I don't know how much growth they can they can build in a week when they've not played that much rugby. And it's just interesting little snippets you get. So we'll see. Um, the big thing is, and I, I said it last week, Yankees, if he has to play at 10 or if he comes off the bench, it's a massive step down for, for the South Africans in how they want to play. Um, so that'd be a huge advantage to the British and Irish Lions if that was the case. So um, time will tell with selection this week. Okay, shall we go through the team then, Jim? Do you want to name the forwards, your forwards and Goody the backs? Depending on when Jones being fit, if he's fit, he'll play. I'm hearing that he's not. So I'm going to say they might go with Mako because two years ago, he would have been first choice. If it wasn't for him getting pinged left, right and centre at the scrums... I would have picked him 
as first choice because he's proper. But he seems to have sorted that out when it matters because that's what good players do. So I'm going to go Mako. I'm going to go Jamie. Jamie? Uh, because of the lineup. Yeah, I'm going to go Jamie George. So you're going Jamie. I'm going to go Ken Owens. Okay, so we're both agreeing on making the change, which is ridiculous because I had Cowan Dickey nailed on in the first test. Uh, Tyg Furlong, I think we both agree on that. I don't even think we're yeah. even questioning that. And Marrow and Alan Wynne jones we're not questioning that. I'm nope. going to say, oh, will he change Curry for Watson? Yeah, I think he will. I think he's going to change Hamish Watson. And we'll know. By the time the podcast is out, the team will be selected because there was a mole leaking it out, so when they weren't happy, let's just blame the chef or something from South Africa. But I think Hamish Watson, Conan at eight, and of course, Courtney Laws will start six again. Do you think Hamish I is I hear it? you. Yeah, I hear you, Jim. I think that might be the the change. Um, I, I completely agree, James, with that back row. Courtney Laws was immense. Conan was immense. And there might be a like-for-like change with Hamish Watson coming in for Tom Curry and then Curry coming off the bench and being very explosive from that point of view. So, um, yeah, uh, backs. I'm going to go Ali Price. Uh, of course, I haven't just had him on the pod. Um, I'm going to go Dan Bigger. I think he's going to recover and start at 10. And now this is the big one, the centres. He's definitely going to move Henshaw to 13. I think he's going Bundiaki at 12 and Henshaw at 13. Unfortunately, I think Elliot Daly probably drops to the bench, which makes it really difficult now because Duan van der Merwe and Anthony Watson on the wings. That's a big clamour for Liam Williams to start. I think Liam Williams might get a shout at fullback. Oh, I reckon, I reckon that Faz might start 10 because if Bigger doesn't train all week and they'll put Bigger on the bench, agree with you, Bundy Aki. I could see Faz at 12 maybe, but let's go with Faz at 10, Bundy Aki 12, Henshaw at 13. I'm happy to say it, Andrew. I don't think Elliot Daly played well. Okay, didn't get the kick that he needed to get, but he's been brilliant on tour. Back three. I think he's going as is. Do you think? He might put Liam Williams at 15. Who's winning the second tier sleds? Ah, oh, Lions, mate, by 10. Lions by 10. I think South Africa. Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because people talk about, you know, the Lions are, are better off now because it's not being played at altitude. Second and third tests were meant to be both played in Joburg, weren't they? But they're now in Cape Town and the pitch wasn't great. In the second half, the Springboks looked absolutely shot to pieces at times, fitness-wise. So actually, it's probably doing them more of a favour to not play the games at altitude, because uh, altitude burns your lungs after about 30 seconds. So while had things been normal, they'd have been primed for altitude because that's where they play at and that's what they've been used to. These boys look absolutely shot to bits and, you know, it's we'll see how much growth they've got in them in a week. So, yeah, I'm going I'm going Lions. Cause kind of, it's kind of weird saying this. Like, Jim's just gone with South Africa. How good would it be to see it one all and go to the last test? Jim, talk to me why you think uh, the Springboks are going to improve and win the second test. Because they have to. Insight. Yeah, of course. I've given you everything there. Because, but they do. They have to, don't they? Like They're the world yeah. champions. They're, they're at home. Like It is not... You don't want to throw desperate measures, but when it comes to sport... And they weren't that far away. That's what I mean. They, they weren't that far away at the weekend having not played. I think in order for everything they're going through as a country, that's what they latch on to. Do you know what I mean? I think that they're going to latch on to that emotion. Um, whether or not that's enough, it's going to be close. And it's going to come down to a yellow card. You know, does Hamish Watson get yellow carded for a similar challenge this weekend? Do you know what I mean? Does the TMO feel under pressure to give the try this, this week to, to, to Willie LaRue? So I'd like to, I think as a neutral and as a, a fan it would be good to see it go down to the third test because it gives us another week, doesn't it, of, of drama and emotion in the build-up. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions win. I think the the, the quality they've got, the build-up they've had, has been seamless apart from a couple of COVID cases. They seem tight. You know, whatever team they put out there, we're speaking about the bat line, not really playing that well, yet they still won. First half, losing 12-3, still won. Um, but... The romantic in me, and I'm like, I do like a spoon every Christmas. I genuinely do. I do like a spoon on a on a cold winter's night with Beck oh, and a pillow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She, she wants. She said she wants more. Cuddle. I'm not a cuddler, Andrew. No, I'm cuddly though. So send it down my way if you want. Oh, I couldn't imagine. Are you oh, all hairy like a hairy, <laughs> like a hair, like a hairy beanbag? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna go. 
if I'm going to give my expert opinion, I'm going to say one all Lions take the third test. And there's been a bit of other rugby news outside of the British and Irish Lions. Gertie, what do you make of Eddie Jones losing John Mitchell from his coaching staff and him joining Wasps? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Surprised? Um, I am a little bit, actually. Um, we spoke to John Mitchell at the start of the Six Nations, didn't we? He signed a new contract at the start of the Six Nations uh, to go through to the World Cup. So it does surprise me, but also it doesn't surprise me um, for reasons that we've spoken about on this podcast before. The turnover in coaches has been... Uh, monumental, hasn't it? Since Eddie t- took over, and and listen, everyone knows that's the way Eddie likes to keep things, you know, freshen them up. And it's been to the detriment of the England team at times. You know, when obviously Scott Wisemantle left, and it was kind of just finding people to fill in roles. And it's ultimately, we've said it on air, Eddie Jones. When you're the boss, it's your way or the highway. Um, and you know, does what John are you Mitchell? With that then, Andrew, let's be honest. Why is John Mitchell left? Why do you, you know, think he's, got, he's left? He's gone to Wasps. Now, I don't think it's going to be about money. So it's not going to be for a better deal. It can only be because he doesn't want to work in that environment anymore or Eddie doesn't want him working in that environment anymore. And I, we, we have no clue as to why. So we're just going to blame Eddie. Is he going to move to Cov or not? Because he apparently lives in South Africa. I mean, imagine living in South Africa or Australia. Lives in Derbs. And being lives like, in Derbs. I'll tell you what. Well, similar to commentary, you got the canal with the dirty nappies and the trolleys in there. So he wants it. He's getting an apartment overlooking the Cov Canal. That's what I'm saying. Um, Historic. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a great signing for Wasps. However, it's come about, and Wasps put a, um, a press release out saying once we found out that he was available, um, you know, a coach of his experience and, and everything that he's got about him. And other people have said how many jobs that John Mitchell's had in the last five, six, seven years. It's quite a few. But, you know, Wasp's definitely the beneficiaries. Why he's left, we'll never know because John Mitchell isn't the sort of bloke to come out if it was his choice and say he's not going to give Eddie both barrels in the press. He's not going to tell anyone anything like that. But also, maybe Eddie wanted rid of John Mitchell as well. But who knows? And Until someone says anything, the history is that Eddie Jones, a lot of people don't want to work for him anymore because of how hard to work with he is. And the benefactors of this are Wasp's. Right, let's finish things off with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, we're going to start off in Tokyo, and the GB7s team, Great Britain 7s, have won their first two games at the Tokyo Olympics without conceding a single point. They've got their quarterfinal tomorrow when the podcast is out, so we'll see how they go there. But they get a mention in the good, and they're through to those quarterfinals. Um, We're going to go for a, a few Lions people now, James, and we're going to start off with a man you've written off constantly. But that man, Alan Wynne-Jones, the skipper, led from the front. He made the most tackles for the Lions with 10. So I think his shoulder's okay. And he led from the front in his 10th consecutive test for the Lions. So oh, gosh. Uh, he, he certainly gets a mention in the good. Um, two other players that were outstanding on the day. Uh, Jack Conan, who we spoke about, but also Courtney Laws. Eight carries, 33 metres made, nine tackles and six lineouts. One showing that he is the all-court player that they need at six. Uh, fantastic operator, both sides of the ball. Maratoji, just huge, wasn't he? Learned everything he knows from Jim Hamilton. He also learned everything not to do from Jim Hamilton. And luckily, he doesn't do that very often. But he was phenomenal at the weekend. Five carries, eight tackles, three turnovers, one. Uh, and some of those turnovers were very key at moments in the game when things could have gone against the Lions. So uh, he was an absolute menace throughout. I love how you're backing this all up with stats. This is the first time you've done this. You're hitting me with stats like you're convincing me again. I told you earlier, I'm easily manipulated. The minute you start hitting me with one and one equals 25, I'm sold. Like 69 and six, nine to 69. Like I'm, Once you start throwing these around, you are convincing me. But the goo this week goes to Warren G and the Lions in general. Your mentor, James Hamilton. Halftime, 12-3 down. He drops his kegs, shows them his spuds, gave the boys everything they needed to go out there and win that second half and win the test by dropping his kegs. Apparently, he's got massive nuts. And he got them out on the table. He said, lads, show me your nuts. So, Warren Gatland, you were an inspiration to the boys at halftime. And that's where you get the goo this week. He just regulated them. He did. See what I've done there? Do you know where, do you know where that's from? Warren G. Regulated. Warren G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, the bad, Eddie Jones, uh, losing another assistant coach with John Mitchell going to Wasps. I should have mentioned Wasps in the good because they got John Mitchell. Yeah, I will. Wasps, you get mentioned in the good. Uh, but yeah, bad news for Eddie Jones. Another coach leaves his coaching ticket and he's got to go looking again. Maybe Richard Cockerell. Imagine those two working together. Can you imagine that, Jim? No. <laughs> in one word no um, what else was bad world rugby 
are going to get mentioned the bad. Firstly, for putting Marius Jonker in a difficult position, making him TMO at the last minute. Where was the contingency plan? Uh, so he's now TMO for all three tests. But basically, he was put in an awful position because he was damned if he did, damned if he didn't. The South Africans are now hammering him um, for some of the decisions he made. And Warren Gatlin obviously went at him before the game and is now saying, yeah, I was pretty happy. So uh, it was a no-win position, but World Rugby, you should have done better. Uh, but the bad this week has to go to South Africa's discipline. They lost it. They did a Jim Hamilton. Lost their discipline. 14 penalties conceded uh, in the game, which was the difference in the end. The South Africans lost their discipline, lost their way in the second half. The Lions came good. So South Africa's discipline, you get the bad this week. Uh, and then the ugly, two bits of ugly, and it's basically journos, journalists. South African journalist Mark Keohane calling Marius Jonker despicable and a coward. Uh, That gets a mention in the ugly, but the ugly this week goes to Neil Francis, who was rightfully sacked for his disgraceful comments about Marcus Smith from his role with the independent.ie and the podcast that he was on. So Neil Francis, hang your head in shame. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Tim. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you head on over to Spotify and we'll see you there. Rugby spot. Spot a pod, 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 pod. (laughs) 